Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're dangerously likely to talk about a climate change hypothetical. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So Terrell, before I get into my two main stories that I have in our above the fold segment this week, I just want to give a quick shout out that the bipartisan infrastructure deal just passed the Senate today, Tuesday, whoop, whoop. 69 to, was it 30? Yes. Woo! Who didn't vote? I don't know. It doesn't matter. We got 19 Republicans. That's insane. Uh, hopefully it passes the House. Good luck. Little bipartisan infrastructure bill. Get out of here, AOC. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. Now to my uh, main stories for the Above the Fold. Um, on Monday, a federal judge questioned why U.S. prosecutors are only asking capital insurrectionists to pay $1.5 million in damages when the real price tag of the damage done amounts to more than $500 million. It is not clear how U.S. prosecutors estimated the damage done to be $1.5 million, yet that only seems to reflect the immediate repair of damages such as broken windows, doors, and other property damages. Breaking news out of New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo has announced that he is going to resign. One week earlier, the New York State Attorney General reported that the governor had sexually harassed 11 women and that these claims against him were credible. Terrell, I know you had some thoughts about the situation. What is your reaction to the story? Well, first, um, I just want to say I can't wait to see the insurrectionists pay for some damages, um, especially with all the money they saved by not getting the, um, what you call it, COVID shot. Oh, wait, the COVID shot's free, so they could have gotten it anyway. Um, moving on to New York, though, I'm actually really surprised that Governor Cuomo's resigned i um there was no path forward for him there wasn't i think he was going to eventually i do think there was an expectation if you if you want or just some belief that his his belief that he had done no wrong was going to win out at the end of the day his stubbornness that's what i'm looking for was going to um win out and instead he came to a census. He recognized that this conversation isn't productive for the state. Um, and also he's at fault. He harmed multiple women. The report came out. His, it's very honest and, and blatant. Um, so I'm grateful that the governor took a second to step back and understood what was necessary in this moment. Also, I appreciate the fact that um, we can move on from this story. We can allow the women who were harmed by the press, by this his administration, to take solace that there has been some form of accountability, but also they can move forward in the means that are or is appropriate for them, rather than this constant bringing up and news stories and deflections from Governor Cuomo's office. And also, I I want to move pass the implications and letting his name carry the day specifically because um, New York has its first female governor. And I think that can't be understated, even though she's stepping into a whole lot of mess. Um, It's so important and so critical that a glass ceiling was broken, whether it was in a way that people would hope is neither here nor there, but um this individual has the capacity has the potential to do some amazing work to fix a lot of wrongs that that government has done. Sorry, I jumped on the soapbox for 10 seconds. No, I mean, that was actually exactly what I wanted to draw out of you with my question. It's a big deal um, that New York has its first female governor. And I think you said it earlier that you're kind of hoping it wouldn't be overshadowed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if it is. I mean, throughout the day, I already saw a few news notifications that were like, first female governor, what's what's she stepping into? <laughs> Which is yeah. nothing good. But I mean, you're right. It's it's a big deal, however it happened. On to the worldwide circuit. In his first call to a Western leader, President Raisi of Iran calls Macron regarding stalled nuclear talks. 
from the Associated Press. This signals a willingness to return to the table um, on the part of Turin, even as tensions remain following just a really disjointed and bobbled response by the United States. Um, Speaking to Macron, the president emphasized that Iran is very serious about providing security and preserving deterrence in the Persian Gulf and the Sea of Ottoman. Straight from the Bloomberg update, Afghan President Ashraf Ghani said he views peace talks with the Taliban as dead. Um, As we look um, at all of the things that are happening in the state of Afghanistan, um, the president is looking to both arm civilians and cooperate with warlords to prevent the military group from taking control of the country any further. Um, This is going to be a huge ramification on the Biden administration's decision to withdraw troops from the region, um, but also brings up a lot of security concerns as we are curious about and and wondering what stability looks like for a state that has been at war for many years. Following unprecedented fires in Greece, President Moustakis approves 500 million euros, which equates to about $584 million to support relief and compensation efforts in the region. Per Reuters, more than 500 fires have burned across the country, forcing massive evacuations. Other European countries have sent nearly 1,000 firefighters in support of the containment effort. And on a lighter note, wandering elephants in China look to be headed home. Um, About 14 Asian elephants left their nature reserve more than a year ago to roam the urbanized southwest portion of China. Um, As of Sunday, the herd was roughly 125 miles from the reserve, um, but this story is continuing to develop and was provided by the Associated Press. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Terrell, the news feels like it hasn't changed much since last week. Uh, COVID, doom and gloom, bipartisan infrastructure getting closer to being passed. Now it just has to go to the House. Yay. Uh, And of course, stupid Republican culture war shit um, has really dominated the news. Oh, of course, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo. But hopefully that news story goes away pretty soon now, too. Mm -hmm. Lots of stuff happening, but it's kind of all the same stuff that's been happening the last couple of weeks. Um, So today I have... I have one what-if hypothetical based off of uh, what is actually happening in the world right now for us. But before I get into this hypothetical, um, I really wanted to talk about what happened uh, at the UN this week at the United Nations. The UN has an intergovernmental panel on climate change made up of the world's top scientists. I saw that. Every decade or so, they release a climate change report based off thousands of different climate studies. And just last Monday, they issued a report that, for the first time, tied human activity directly to rising temperatures and issued a dire warning that warming of the Earth will not end until we end emissions. Here are some important points of the report per Bloomberg Green. The hottest decade in the last 125,000 years was this past decade. In fact, there's already enough greenhouse gases in the atmosphere to heat our planet by one and a half degrees Celsius which is what the Paris Agreement fought to avoid. Scientists now have the ability to connect weather events to human activity uh, with climate change. Scientists have reached a milestone in which they can predict how greenhouse gases will affect temperatures. In other words, climate science is getting, a, is getting better and it's getting more precise. The Earth will stabilize its temperature and heating within a couple decades if we seize emissions. But we are currently locked in to the consequences of warming the Earth to 1.1 degrees Celsius for the next 30 years. So basically, we have to get our emissions down to zero by 2050 um, if we want to not suffer more than we will for the next 30 years. Flintstones it is. (laughs) Yeah. And also what makes this report so powerful is that it has the volunteer global warming scientists who made the report first have to gain access or gain access, gain consensus with all of the UN governments before releasing the report, meaning that the vast majority of countries um, in the world, I believe there's only like 10 that aren't part of the UN, um, have given their authority on what some of this uh, report states, which is a really big deal. So Terrell, my hypothetical 
before we get to it, I want to just kind of get your reaction off of this report. Are we supposed to be surprised? Like <laughs> we're living through it. Um, you have Idaho experiencing one of the worst heat waves it has on record. We just experienced like, oh, it's cooling off. It's in the 80s. And I just heard Saturday is going to be 105 again. Congrats. Another heat wave. Yay. Um, California has its second largest wildfire in history on record happening right now. Mind you, the largest was last year. (laughs) Um, You had, I think, an estimated... 100 to 200 individuals in the Pacific Northwest um, die or an estimated 800 people um, die this past year because of summer heat and their lack of air conditions. Like I think we're experiencing it where the report wasn't a shock. It wasn't um, unheard of. It, it was just a justification of what we already knew. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. I mean, look, we have massive fires in the States again, huge heat waves in Canada in the Pacific Northwest where that thing does just, just doesn't really happen. Massive floods in Germany, Central Europe, in China, where things like that don't really happen. More massive fires in Turkey and Greece and other countries. I mean, it just feels like this year seems to have smacked us in the face a little bit more. And the next 30 years are going to be this way and worse. So, our fight right now is to not let it get past that 30 year mark. We need to make sure that we're cutting all of our emissions by 2050 or, I mean, the rest of our two lives are going to be these crazy climate events that are directly impacted by what we have done to this earth. And something that's kind of interesting about all of this is that Earth rewards like good behavior. If we do this, there's a chance that Earth will actually cool itself down if we cut all the emissions after 2050. And that's part of what the report talks about. Not not cool itself down like drastically if mm-hmm. we do this. Like it'll kind of stabilize itself and 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 the heating won't get worse if we cut emissions. But it's all centered around this if that even the Paris um, Climate Accords uh, won't even live up to it. Yeah, they it, it's not even designed. It's designed to do something and that's good, but it's not designed to live up to all the expectations of what we actually need to do as a human society. Um, so obviously, like, it's easy to be kind of feel like kind of defeatist with all of this, but I think there is a lot of hope, but we just got to kind of put our heads down and start working on it. Well, I, I also think something important that came out of the report a helpful analogy, if you will, um, is the recognition that it's it's like your lungs when you smoke, right? Like there's a certain amount of smoke that you, smoking that can happen before irreparable damage occurs. Um, and this report really kind of sounded the alarm that we could stop smoking right now, but there has been so much damage that has done that it's not completely irreparable, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm but it will take so long to heal and grow. Like you mentioned, we, uh, I made the joke going to the Flintstones of we're walking instead of driving and we have cars that are powered by us. Um, it takes that kind of movement in this moment right now, just to see change that is helpful and beneficial for healing to occur. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you shut everything down that has emissions today, um, we're still walked into that 30 years of climate change and global warming because there's enough greenhouse gases already in the atmosphere to do that unless we had some kind of capture technologies developed that would efficiently pull some of that away. And maybe that would help, but right now I think the focus really needs to be on, you know, some of what we actually see in this bipartisan infrastructure plan, like electrifying uh, cars and school buses and, adding electric charging stations across the country and making sure that they're run off renewable energy and not coal and fossil fuels and whatnot. You know, this report is a really big deal. And I think it's been dubbed as like the code red for humanity. And, you know, we got to listen and we got to take some action. And I, you know, I feel like in the U S 
I know that in the kind of the market with businesses and stuff, there has been shifts to that, but mm-hmm. it hasn't been drastic enough yet. Um, and I know that the Biden administration is working on getting some big climate stuff passed through, but I'm like skeptical that that will even be enough. But here's the thing is like, you know, we got the Senate to pass the bipartisan infrastructure deal. That's great. This three and a half trillion dollar proposed reconciliation for Democrats to pass will have a ton of climate stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this may be like the last chance we get to pass something with climate in it for like the next decade, depending on how midterms go. Yeah. And so I think it's, we better make it count, I guess is what I'm saying. Before you jump into your what if and not to cut you off. Um, I do think what you mentioned is huge, right? Like uh, we have to look no further than 2016 with the Obama administration after being just stonewalled by the Senate um, and just by Congress in general for that matter. Um, the administration looked to preserving multitudes of wildlife and, and environmental ecosystems, um, creating the first natural park in an ocean. Um, and I think it's those kind of big actions, I, I, not to deviate from environment, but I think to Elizabeth Warren calling on the Biden administration every day lately to cancel student loan debt. It's those kind of big actions that the executive branch has the authority and the autonomy to do that isn't completely unheard of in our country, um, but might be necessary if we are genuinely cognizant that we are on the precipice of a disaster uh, on large scale, not just if you're talking to a conservative counterpart who feels that, oh, it's not going to be that bad or um, we have the capacity to build up and save these places. New Orleans is a great example. Louisiana at large is a state that is constantly sinking below the sea level. Um, and all it took was one hurricane to show us how catastrophic that damage could be and how long it takes to build back. Um, and this report goes forward to highlight that, there are multiple areas that will see that same damage that we won't inherently be able to fix. So my what if has something to do that isn't quite this, although this news should be just as alarming for where we sit now. Um, but my what if has more to do with the ice caps, ice caps melting fully. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if all the ice caps melted, uh, like a hundred percent. First of all, scientists think that even with global warming, this will take a really long time to happen. There's a ton of ice. They think it'll take a couple hundred years at least for all of them. Sure. For all of them, for it to be fully, um, everything to fully melt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, given all this, this climate doom and gloom and whatnot, um, I thought it would be kind of an interesting case study to look at. So if they all melted, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to speed up that timeline. Let's say they all melted by 2050. Let's say we're like past the point of no return and they melt by 2050. Um, The sea level would rise about 230 feet. And to get your kind of mind around that, that's Louisiana. Well, Louisiana is still somewhat there, but all of Florida is underwater. All of Florida is underwater. Most of Louisiana is underwater at that point, except for the very top of the boot. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the U S coastline is underwater. Um, there's a time New York makes it kind of New York does not make it. Um, no, it does. No, New York would not make it. There's a lot of places that wouldn't make it. Um, and it's kind of sad, but New York would make it because of the lakes Fair. Yeah. But, um, I guess my question with that is like, if this actually happened by 2050 and we were getting the news today, like, how do you think the world like reacts to that specifically the U S specifically the U S hmm. Like, how would people's ideas about climate change literally change overnight or not? And how would our politics be different? And that's kind of my hypothetical what if. That's a broad what if. That's assuming a lot of human nature. And I mean, let's talk specifically about Democrats and Republicans in politics. What's the reaction? Does Republicans actually change their minds or does everyone just say we're fucked? I'm assuming everyone just says we're fucked. Like at that point, news reports have come out. uh, The, um, I can't think of their name. The Senate committee on 
National Security has been briefed and is aware that there is a cataclysmic event that is going to occur. There is nothing that we can physically do other than move a bunch of people. Um, I think... Well, let, let me say this. Yeah. If there was a way to stop this from happening, but you had to do it by like the year 2035, do you think there's actually more political action on this? Do you think politicians suddenly have the willpower to actually stop this? I think you stay where you are. Um, I mean, Okay, backtracking. So... For those listening, I'm currently holding a book called Open for Business, um, written by um, Lazar. And it goes through the history of environmental policy in the U.S., but it's specific to the conservative voice in environmental policy. So I think it starts, if I remember correctly, under the Ford administration, and just kind of walks its way from there. <clears throat> Only that actually Ronald or Richard Nixon tried to do a little bit on environment, but not a whole lot. And his predecessor essentially threw everything out. Um, but what's notable, and the reason I bring this book up in this specific what if, is it spends a lot of time talking about Jimmy Carter. And the reason Jimmy Carter is important in this conversation is he's one of the few presidents who stuck his administration in a climate conversation. He put solar panels on the White House. He um, didn't know that actually. He regulated um, days that individuals can drive because they we were facing uh, an oil crunch and really tried to do things in a um, conservationist matter. And he was a one-term president. The president follow after him is good old Reagan, who institutes trickle-down economics, who completely ignores science, and that sets up the modern-day Republican Party, right? Now, we fast-forward, we're in um, 2021. You have a party that is telling people to get vaccinated after spending multiple years saying that the vaccine had um, chips in it. It wasn't trusted, even though their president is the one who got the vaccine, and they want to champion the fact that he uh, in, uh, was instrumental in this whole warp speed initiative. But you have this party that is more willing to go against science than listen to it and understand it and move forward. Look no further than Florida, the state that will no longer exist if this thought experiment happened, um, as they continue to, well, not they, as their governor continues to ignore science and act as if we are not in a pandemic still. So maybe that's why Florida is just so bonkers because they already know they're going to die. Yeah, uh, that would make sense. I guess if you know you're at the gates of hell, then what's the point <laughs> the of fighting of hell, it? It's more like the gates of lots of water that used to be frozen. <laughs> that was the most lame way of putting it. Hey, look. I thought I I thought you could make a joke of like, oh, at least we know hell will freeze over because if Florida goes <laughs> underwater, but but it, it, it would drown. Would it wouldn't heated. freeze over. Yeah. <laughs> you were just. Not funny today. Um, but all of that to say, I think for the modern politician or the model po- modern political scientist, Jimmy Carter's legacy, although he turns out to be right, reigns true. A- another great example, Al Gore loses um, his election. and he? he? Okay, we just <laughs> talked about this. Yes, the Supreme Court said he lost. Did he actually? That's a whole other conversation for, for another thought experiment. But he staked a lot of his administration on not only continuing to balance the budget on, as it was in the Clinton administration, but also looking to the future and owning that there is a need to focus on climate and understand how do we build a, a country that is resilient to any climate crises that might happen. So I I think you have a modern Republican Party who sees this as a non-starter, who sees this as a concern, an issue, not something that they want. And you see the Democratic Party jump onto the Green New Deal and ride it out and say, this is our only hope. And then you, this is why I said it's a hard thought experiment, because you have to look at human nature. Then you're stuck with and have to focus on human nature. And does the idea of an impending doom push an electorate to vote for survival 
or do we continue to have this misinformation that draws people and puts people in a space where um, you still have a divided government that never makes any possible plausible changes? Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. Like, I would love to think that if news like this, and I'm not even just talking about this hypothetical, I would love to think that the news that we got a few days ago from the UN about how dire the situation is would change Republican minds. It probably won't, although it might solidify maybe like one or two senators that kind of do care a little bit about climate change if such exists. And I would argue it didn't change any minds. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Until the money ends up moving towards environment, you will not see the modern GOP shift. Well, that's really interesting you say that because it already has moved that way. Has it though? Yes. Has it? Most companies invest in green technologies. Even oil companies do it because they know that's the future. But do they lobby for the government to step in and tell them that they need to do that? That's a good point. They probably don't. They do not. And that's just another example of all of our congressmen and women's brains being brainwashed by DC politics when the rest of the country matters a lot more. I feel like those are two different things. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Look, I, I I feel like if the situation was in the hypothetical, you know, Ford is gone or whatnot, maybe we would change some minds. I don't know if it would be enough to do anything about it, though. I think... (laughs) I'm awful. I think you would get... I think you would get more division than you foresee. And I I think it for this reason. So when you think about the, the states that are going to be negatively impacted by this, right? Mm-hmm. It's your California, your Portland, your Oregon's. Florida's an outlier, Louisiana. Your Portland, your Oregon's? Yeah. Portland, Oregon? Nah. Washington, Oregon. You're... you're- I Are know, you going to try? New York cities, New Yorks. No, I would have said Albany in your New Yorks, but you, you're close. You tried. Fuck. Um, <laughs> anywho, your Washington, your Oregon's, your, um, you have Florida and Louisiana that are outliers, right? But look at Idaho. Oh, we're good. Exactly. <laughs> we're no, a, but you we're know what? a ruby red state. That's good. Wait a second. And our concern is the fact that you have a California, a Washington, Oregon that are going to want to move here. If anything, yes, that's the if, driver of our decisions. If anything, <laughs> it heightens the Republican narrative of you guys should have done better. Your states are mismanaged. We don't need to step in and do all of this stuff because we we we're fine, and we don't want you here. I again look no further than the pandemic we just lived through of at one point there was a mindset of community and we're all Americans will stick through being locked really up. Are, that's debatable. The first two months we were like, we're here. And then reports came out that black people get it more than others. And we all switched very quickly to, oh, we don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> By we, I don't mean me, the black male on the call, but you know what I'm talking about. Anywho, I do think that there might be some quick understanding of, oh my God, this family's being displaced. I feel for it. But the minute they move into the state that you reside, there will be animosity. There will be anger. And I think if anything, it reinforces the, well, those places should have done their part to prevent or stop or fix this. I in Idaho have no reason to do that. This doesn't negatively impact me. And that's why I further think that you don't get a narrative change. If anything, you get more hardliners of, I'm running for Idaho Senate or I'm running for the Senate for the state of Idaho so that we can outlaw all of these. Um, I'm going to use a term that will be used when this happens. We can outlaw all these refugees from coming to our state. I think it's actually a little bit more complicated than that because, yes, I don't think you're wrong with thinking Idahoans. Well, I don't want to use Idahoans as a broad term because I'm an Idahoan and I don't think this way. Yes. But are the people that are in power in the state and a lot of Idahoans don't want people from other states, especially California, coming to their state. And that's what I mean by Idahoans, people in power. Yeah, yeah. And what I think is more complicated about this is, yeah, I think that animosity gets turned up a notch if everybody from California sees this and starts moving to places like Idaho to get out of the way of their homes getting destroyed. 
because of 230 foot increase in sea level. But um, which would also engulf most of California. Not not as much as you think, actually. I mean, the but places that matter. Yes. San Francisco. I think LA is safe. Um, mm. I don't actually remember. I need I was, to really look at the map. I was going to say, I feel like LA is... National Geographic has a very interesting map about the whole world and what places would be flooded. And there's some interesting ones. Rome is gone. Yeah. Um, Italy itself is not as underwater as you think it would be. Yes. But Venice, of course, Rome, out of there. Um, there's actually like the Caspian Sea, like just goes, like just blows up in this scenario too. It's very interesting, actually. You should take I mean, a look at it. A city that has water canals and streets, you can probably assume that it won't survive. One of the most at Greece. safe Venice. continents is Africa, actually. But um, you guys have done enough harm to us, so of course we survive. <laughs> um, yeah, but I. I guess what I think is more complicated about this is, first of all, and this is maybe a little bit of wishful thinking, um, Idaho could somehow take the route of, wait a second, we don't want more people to move to Idaho. If this news came out, maybe they are doing their part because they don't want more people to move. Yeah, that's probably an unlikely scenario. I appreciate that, though. But here's the thing, though, is is Idaho is a really interesting red state because like 70% of its power comes from hydroelectric power. And it's not like a big coal or or gas state. I think natural gas is the next big one. But it, it's mostly hydroelectric power, which is, I mean, not great for environments. And side note, there needs to be some dams that are broke along this um, along the Snake River so the salmon can continue to live here. Um, but for the most part, like, it's not it's not causing more emissions. Mm-hmm. We're not getting our energy from things that are causing the globe to continue the heat. We're not West Virginia. As much. I think what makes that interesting about Idaho too, is we also have, especially in Southern Idaho, tons of flat kind of deserty land that gets a ton of sun. And if companies started to do their part a lot more than they are now because of this crazy ice cap melting scenario that we put ourselves in, um, Idaho is a kind of a good, especially Southern Idaho is a good place for lots of renewable energy, solar panels, whatnot, has a lot of land for that. And Idaho as a state would not, I don't think in this situation, they probably wouldn't now, they probably would not stop that from happening in Idaho because that's money for the state. I push back only slightly. I, I just think it's more complicated. I don't know. I if, agree. I don't it know is, if everything I say is true. It is definitely more complicated, but I, I still feel like, yes, it's money, but at the same time, I can see this state specifically having issue with or feeling like we're being used by the government to power all of these other places. We want to get more of a tax return or, or insert thing here, right? Um, but also, I, I think to... 2012 when was hurricane katrina that was like 2003 2000 jesus or seven 2007 might have been 2007 i am just old at this point um i think back to hurricane katrina specifically and um the displacement that came from that incident right there were Mm -hmm. 2005 kept literally right in between (laughs) both wow um my average was perfect it was (laughs) Um, I, I remember Michigan was one of the states that a lot of, um, individuals displaced by the hurricane moved to. And there was some, some serious tensions that were caused by these individuals living in uh, these hotels or uh, how they all rushed in. Fast forward a few more years, hurricane hits Virginia and we have the same issue. So I do think there's, uh, there's some trouble with the, American experiment here that we still have some articles of a confederation tendencies where each state feels, well, yes, these are my people and I will support the federal government. But when Louisiana or Louisians, Louisianians, whatever the people of Louisiana are called when they come or when um, Virginians come, there becomes this, this uh, tribalism, if you will, that really causes contention. And I feel like that plays, or I, I have experiences that inform me to believe and have a bias that 
those tensions might play out in this specific example of this isn't our problem. You all should have done more. We don't like that you're all in our space and we're going to actively try to combat you moving versus doing the work that's necessary to fix it for the greater good. So I actually, and hear me on this one, I actually think that we're both kind of right. Yes. But kind of wrong. And I think if we take the average between our two answers, we'll get it just about right. Because I think- I won all the averages today. Look, look, look. I think I might be a little optimistic about how, especially in the US, um, different people, especially landlocked states that won't, well, be as affected as in quotes because they would be with other natural disasters. But in terms of like our city being (laughs) underwater, um, yeah, that's probably not going to happen if you're in- Boise, Idaho, for instance, or Kansas City. But um, I think that like what I'm thinking is if we have one whole state gone in a massive part of our coastline gone because the ice caps all melted because we didn't do anything about climate change when it mattered. Um, I think people, even in landlocked states, would see that and I think it would freak them out. And I think that there would be more of this camaraderie because of such a natural disaster. Now, I think that I could be a bit optimistic on that. But you're saying that what you're saying is kind of like there will be this tribalism. And I I don't deny that that'll happen in some places. I'm very Machiavellian here. I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is hypothetical and we don't know what would actually happen. But I have a feeling that it's somewhere in the middle of what we're thinking. Again, I I think... The um, example of the Articles of Confederation are great to lean on of there are some of those tribalism tendencies and maybe there there is that division of I'll pick on North and South Dakota because like, let's be real, no one's moving there, but they're going to be the ones to say, oh, we don't want people here versus I, I do think an Idaho might be more open and more accepting to not so much Californians, but Oregon, Washington saying, hey, we're going to try to populate or try to to not be impacted by this, and especially because the spaces in Oregon and Washington that would be negatively impacted by this um, aren't the entire state. It's not like Idaho is going to have a coastline by the end of this, but enough of it is where I think Boise, Sun Valley, um, Stanley will be hubs that people from those areas would find comfort and find the camaraderie, the, the um, bonding that would be necessary to kind of survive through it. Look, long story short is no, the ice caps are not going to melt all the way by 2050. That's just the hypothetical, but we are in a situation where the whole world, not just the U S has to, proactively react to the news about this code red for humanity. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest piece of news that I think has come out this week. And yeah, there's been other political stuff in the U S that's come out, but I really think that we need to focus on that individual things with climate help, but obviously it's not the only thing that'll happen. Call your Senator Congressman pass bipartisan infrastructure bill, pass the reconciliation bill, advocate for more climate stuff when you can in your local state and federal um, um, congressional offices or political offices in general that you elect. It's a big deal, y'all. It's a big deal. And I think important too to mention here is, yes, uh, this what if might have been the absolute worst case scenario on steroids, but the UN report did go in depth to talk about the impacts that climate change and just overall warming have had on our um, weather systems. And Something impactful to recognize is this year, New Jersey had a tornado, which historically doesn't happen because it is very high. (laughs) Um, There are genuine fears and recognitions that hurricane season continuously starts sooner than it did years previous. You have Turkey and Greece experiencing the worst wildfires in their history. Um, same with Oregon and California, too. Yeah. And Canada. Canada, Idaho starting to get up there because we just keep having new ones pop up every other day. But while this what if might have been very um, cautionary and focused on, again, that, that worst case scenario, it is important to recognize that there are very realistic implications that are happening in modern day. 
we are bracing for a hurricane season that we have no idea what it really truly is going to look like. There have been conversations and, and talks about what if there is a hurricane stronger than Katrina, which still in history is the strongest hurricane on record. That is very plausible to happen within our lifetime. So as we have these conversations and we talk about climate change, I, I think it's always important and significant to recognize, um, yes, there's this conversation about coastal regions going underwater. And yes, there's these conversations about this tribalism like we just had. But most importantly, we need to understand that right now, today, people are being displaced by climate change and that whether the ice caps melt or not will not um, change without our work. And I think I want to leave on kind of a perspective note. So I'm almost 24 years old. And that means that even if we, if the world gets shit together and we do stop the emissions, even if it is before 2050, maybe it's right at the mark at 2050, whatnot. If we do all the right things, I will be 54 (laughs) before I can begin to see an earth that wasn't affected as much by our climate change that we've done. That's really weird to think about. I'll be 57, so. At least I'm closer. Damn, you old. At least I'm closer to retirement <laughs> than you are. Um, one other thing I would also stress to our viewers: if you appreciate doing your own research or you appreciate looking into these types of things, <clears throat> the book I mentioned, um, "Open for Business," is a great, great resource in my opinion that I grabbed during my undergrad. That just really speaks to how we ended up here from a policy standpoint um, and how each administration attacked or tackled conservation, environmental policy, um, and even has some pretty great pieces about how the conservative movement um, focused in and honed into where it is. So just a quick plugger. We'll be right back. So Caleb, take me on a tangent. Okay, Terrell, I'm... I don't know. There's plenty of things to be annoyed at or exhausted by in the world. For instance, I'm really exhausted about COVID and never want to talk about it. Um, Even though I mentioned it how many times? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's just an exhausting topic. Um, So I'm going to talk about what I've been doing for the past couple of weeks. And that has just been just absolutely splurging on TV. And by splurging, I just mean that I've just binged a couple of shows and one of them is veep and i'm a little bit through another show called community veep is an interesting show to say the least it's i think it's a really good satirical look at our political system and making fun of it Meh. i think it is i think it is it's also a terrible show and i'm not gonna say terrible in like it's a bad show i'm gonna say terrible as in None of the characters are good. And, yes. you know, they cuss and swear all the time if that isn't your thing. And just like, I think it would be culturally offensive today in today's terms, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but I also felt like I understood what it was trying to do. And I thought that there was a little bit of satirical brilliance in it. Um, the other show, Community is maybe one of the dumbest shows I've ever watched, but also it's just so good. And, you know, I was watching an episode today and gosh, I think it's like 2009 or 2010, um, the season I'm on when it came out. And I mean, they were already saying that people would be canceled. So it's ahead of its time. (laughs) By far one of the best shows to exist. And it got not enough credit because everyone went to the office, which honestly I'm not, or Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is funny, but I mean, I mean, look, and that's how I feel about The Office. Same. I, um, the thing about community is you stick like so, I don't know everybody's names, but you have so many like known actors in that show. (laughs) And I just like, I love seeing like, like the whole cast be people that we all know from something or another Mm -hmm. all stuck together in the same room. And then just some weird shit happens and that's community and it's fun. Um, The premise of community is that this guy gets disbarred because his bachelor's degree or whatever was fake from a university. And um, basically he has to go get a degree again 
to become a lawyer again. And so he goes to this community college and <laughs> meets random people from all walks of life. And, you know, there's probably some parts in it. Like Chevy Chase's character is definitely culturally offensive today. Um, eh. No, totally is. He he's, is. Like, he's like a Veep vibe, honestly. Um, but it's pretty fantastic and it's funny. So check out that one on Netflix and Veep is on HBO Max. I'm also almost done with the White Lotus. And if you all listen consistently, you would have heard me talk about it a couple weeks ago. And it's just such an interesting show. And it just got renewed for two seasons. So I'm happy. What's it not? What's it like not to have like employment so I can watch TV shows because I can't relate to any of this? <laughs> oh, I have employment, Terrell. <laughs> not me being shady at seven o'clock at night. I do this really weird thing where if I get into a show, I could be the You're busiest. You're committed. I, I do get committed. It's ridiculous. I can I can watch like TV throughout my day. So when I get committed to a show for reals, I can have meetings for over 12 hours in a day and still somehow in between meetings and at lunch watch like four or five episodes, especially if they're like 20 or 30 minute episodes in that day. Like I just do it. I don't, I couldn't tell you how it just happens. And that's kind of what's happening to me right now. I think that's also how... I kept such a great grasp of time when um, Lovecraft County was out because you were the one who's like, yep, we're watching on Sunday. Here's the, like, yeah, you're very committed to a show. When it was a good that. show. It was. I'm really sad that I'm not up for season two. I'm not committed like that to all shows. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you're just, I don't talk about the ones that I watched the first episode of and go, nope. Yes, you do. When? There's been a couple of Apple TV shows that you're like, it was, I watched the first episode. I wasn't bought in. I yeah, but on. I'm not talking about it to all of you audience. Well, you are now. Who? Right now. What show? I, I didn't say really, anything. I, <laughs> <laughs> Take us on a tangent, Terrell. My tangent is going to be you at this point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. Um, I guess my... I'll stick to social media because that's normally my space. Um, I don't know if our listeners are avid Instagrammers, but there was some controversy on Instagram these last few days from the account. um, So you want to talk about Um, very interesting turn of events. So I context um, this account kind of got created out of the blue partway through 2020, if I remember correctly. Um, And it really became a space that shared some really hard topics in a very simple way. Um, It allowed for people to share it and say, yep, so you want to talk about racism. Here's some resources. Here's how I'm defining racism. Anywho, um, clearly this page ran its course in the last few weeks as the creator um, who had previously been anonymous came out and um, shared their identity and shared who they were. Um, Same thing, but you know what I mean? Um, Highlighting that the account was actually created because they worked on Bernie Sanders campaign. And after he was um, called a communist multiple times, this creator determined that they wanted to create an account and start sharing out and explaining who Bernie Sanders was, what his policies are, Um, And then it obviously evolved into this bigger platform and a lot of small creators um, essentially called them out for appropriating black culture, for um, taking advantage of smaller creators and using their lived experiences to capitalize. I didn't know that this creator had a book deal, apparently. Um, Also, the title that they're using mirrors a lot after um so you want to talk about racism which is a really great book that i also will plug in this space but um i'm sure people assume my rant is condemnation of this account but actually it's condemnation of the individuals who um essentially canceled this person um if you followed it it seems like the account's deleted now but if you followed it the creator came out and was very thoughtful about harm that was created about hearing the communities that were um, uncomfortable with or, or not feeling seen or heard by the work that was done through this account. And 
I think this is another one of those moments where, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, where, where individuals who feel that they are in the right purely because of X or purely because of Y kind of march blindly in taking something down without really thinking of broad, broader implications. And I mean, there's plenty of harm done. You look no further than Allison Ray, if I remember correctly, off of TikTok, who stole a bunch of black creators' dance moves and is now um, the reporter for the WWE or M- MMA, one of the two. Yeah. Um, also has been on Jimmy Fallon doing these unsalted dance moves. So you have a lot of spaces. There was a whole thread on TikTok a couple of days about um, how Zac Efron signed up for 17 again, which a lot of people I know love, but very few people know about the Tia Tamara Mari um, 17 again video that was on Disney that was significantly better and told a better story, in my personal opinion. And then they went into the whole friends and living single um, debacle. So obviously there's history here, but I'm rambling but one of the, the key parts about that account that I appreciate it was it did simplify some really hard topics. Um, for individuals who know me well, I tend to talk about race in a very um, comedic way because it alleviates some pressure for others, um, allows for education to happen, and allows for everyone to kind of come to the table. And during 2020, there wasn't a lot of ease in making light of or making jokes as it relates to the struggles of African-Americans and POCs of this nation. And this account did a really, really great job of simplifying some really hard topics and then allowing for individuals like me to take that simplification and post it for a, a commonality amongst viewers and then add my own lived experience to further highlight and say, here's why this is important. Here's why this is impactful. Um, but now they're gone. So one of those weird consequences of cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't always fully get it, you know, <laughs> same. I mean, I guess not a lot of people do, but I mean, gosh, you go on Twitter and it's just like, you can say like, the instead of is in a sentence and you're the worst person in the world twitter's the wild west you can't you can't compare twitter and instagram now those yeah but didn't the same thing just happen and with that (laughs) (laughs) i'm caleb and i'm terrell and we're dangerously likely to see you next week